I think hell, and again, more head assery here, but I feel like I feel like hell is in our own brains more than anything. Like I would say hell is like our inability to accept the things that are happening, to deny the witnessing of your own experience or the experience of others that feels like hellish and that I feel like reverberates its implications in like politics, for example, when we're denying death, we're avoiding death, we're denying systems that are oppressing people. All that denial is hell. And in some ways, like we're already in hell. To imagine hell is a privilege because some people live it daily, you know? Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I'm Dave Marr. I live in Chicago. I'm a comedian who nine years ago survived a month-long coma, and I woke up with questions. This week, I am talking to Alejandro Salinas, a musician, a teacher of dream yoga, member of Chicago Death Doula Collective, vampire and the creator of The Coffin Cards, a card deck and podcast exploring mortality and navigating grief. His work is right in line with the concerns of This Is Your Afterlife, which is not very much like This Is Your Afterlife. Usually, I like to talk to folks who make work less directly related to death, not for any particular reason other than that I like talking to people whose work I love and respect a lot, and I don't think of this as strictly a death related podcast it's just a lens but i had a request to talk to a death doula recently and i am very curious about what a death doula does and since i knew alejandro already i knew we'd have a great talk you can check out the show notes for links to his instagram the coffin cards and coffin cards podcast and chai yoga shack where he teaches dream yoga and where Chicago Death Doula Collective is hosting a death cafe on January 27th. If you believe in this show, I would love for you to become a This Is Your Afterlife patron, where you pay me $5 or $15 a month to continue making this show, which I do independently. You can do that at patreon.com slash Dave Marr and immediately get access to an extended version of this conversation thanks to Pigeon patrons G, Barry Fontenot, Shuba Singh, Debo, Fred Fidewa, and Katie Llewellyn. And now, here's me and Alejandro Salinas. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, Okay, like so are you a death doula? I, you know, people ask me this all the time, and I always kind of struggle to answer that. I have yeah. several people who are like, Alejandro, you are absolutely a death doula. Don't deny it. And I'm like, not necessarily. Like, I don't. I did for a short time massage, I volunteer as a massage therapist with a hospice mm -hmm. company. Um, and that was like years and years and years ago. Um, and I'm in a program currently with the Conscious Dying Collective. It's like a, okay. co it's like a coaching and, and death doula program. And so, but I'm also, ho I've hosted, you know, a, a lot of death cafes over the past five years. 
And a lot of my work has revolved around death and dying. My dream work revolves around death and dying. My band is even called Grave Love. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I just, everything I do is imbued with that awareness of death and the wanting to become more familiar with it. And it's not like there's a, you know, it's, it's not like a surgeon situation where you, there's a certifying body that's like, this person no. is an eye surgeon. Right. And you can't really bullshit. It's like, well, you can be a death doula if you, I mean, I'm sure there's more, more, uh, authentic and and legit ways to do it but it, but it seems yeah like it is it's kind of the wild west in terms of certifying and maybe you don't even want a relationship with like a certifying body around being a death doula i don't know is yeah that right? no totally i you know there i know some people i know a lot of people who've gone through programs one of the members on the Chicago Death Doula Collective board um, is her grandmother in Mexico was like the curandera, the like the funeral director basically of like the town. I mean, that's like an English word, right? But yeah, was the person in town responsible for hosting the funerals, preparing the bodies and things. And so she just grew up with that. You know, like really indigenous ways of tending to the dead and the dying. And I think, you know, an organizing, you know, institution that legalizes and sets hoops and licenses and stuff. Right. Is, I appreciate education because there's also people who want to get into the field and don't know where to start, where to begin. Mm -hmm. And the education is necessary, but I, I wouldn't think it's um, good to start regulating it too heavily. And I even feel the same way, a similar way about like yoga teacher training programs, you know, yeah. where it's like yeah. you can go through your 200 hours, which is so little time, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um really little time. You know, my massage program was like 750 hours. Wow. And even then we're required to do continuing education credits every, you know, two years and submit those. Um, so at the end of the day, I think it's more about people wanting to explore. And it is more than an, it, 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 there's something about death work, I think, that just can't be taught, you know, like really, I think at the end of the day, it's about listening and connecting to people in their raw humanity, you know, and that's hard. It's a hard thing to teach. Yeah, it seems like it would be possible to practice yeah maybe totally like to get better at yeah it's it seems like sitting with discomfort would be a pretty big mm -hmm. part of it that's a huge part of it and a huge part of why people don't want to talk about death to begin with is just like no thank you 
either they're, yeah. they're superstitious, they're uncomfortable, they don't know what to say, or they're afraid that their own grief will well up and they haven't touched it and they don't know what to do with it. Mm, grief around other people's deaths. Or, or their own, you know, like... Mm. I don't want to, I don't want to go there because I'll, God forbid I start crying, you know, like that's the worst thing, um, right. is to, to just feel that grief when that's really the most healing thing that we can do and that we can provide and, and holding space for people, you know, it, it's a practice for sure, but it's, you know, more than anything, I, I think a personal journey than it is something you get really in a classroom. Well, what makes someone a death doula as opposed to a friend talking to someone about death? Um, the doula typically works with someone who is actively dying. Mm -hmm. And the other part that these classes and these programs are helpful for is like helping people organize their wills, um, their final wishes, planning a funeral, um, you know, creating legacy projects. Um, some doulas have nursing backgrounds and can help with, you know, some medical mm. um, things. And I think, yeah, I, I would like to see more friendships you like doula work, you know, like sure, sure, sure. Where that's how you know that that to to be with people again, like listening and connecting with someone um in their last moments and, and really like we never know when anyone's last moment is and yeah. And that came to me really huge. In 2010, I was in a um, car accident where I rolled over like three times and miraculously like just sprained my wrist. But it really hit me at that point um, how fleeting and, and quickly, you know, we can go and um, appreciating any moment and uh, saying our goodbyes and you know, making the most of the time we have with people while they're here. You didn't have those fascinations beforehand? I did, but it's different. Again, like, it's hard to... And I'll use the example of, like, when my dad died, you know? He died in 2020 of COVID at, like, oh, wow. the height of quarantine time in May. And... I had already been, you know, hosting death cafes at that point. I had already been really invested in this kind of thing. And yet nothing could have prepared me for what that grief felt like. Which okay. is what I'm yeah. saying. The like thing that can't be taught. You know, like you cannot pass on the felt embodied experience Mm -hmm. of a deep loss and grief. Right. And it is really frustrating when my dad died, the friends that I had that had a hard time conceptualizing or understanding or even imagining what I was going through. Um, 
And even before that, for myself, I could have only imagined what that had been like for people, you know? Right, right. And well, and spent a lot of time imagining. And spent right. and spent a, a lot of time imagining. And, and yet still, you know, it, it hits yeah. like a Mack truck. But clearly the death cafes are important to you. So I would imagine even though they didn't fully prepare you for the embodied experience of losing your dad, it seems like they did something. Oh, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Which is yeah. the other point of like, holy shit, if I was as prepared as I was now. Right, right. I can only even further imagine what people who haven't considered any of these things mm-hmm. or have barely mm-hmm. touched the surface of this have to go through, which even invigorated my mission and cause even further that this is super important. One of the most important things I would say. Because it 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 touches everything. Because I the reason I struggled imagining that 2010 was the was like the first time you even like started thinking about this stuff is because you strike me as someone who's been a goth for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and 2010 wasn't the first time. <laughs> that was like the first time I had a direct embodied experience. Yeah, you know, yeah, totally. I, I grew up with what I call a ghost brother. My oldest brother died when he was seven years old. And so... Okay, and how old were you? Non-negative, negative, okay. negative okay. years. Yeah. I wasn't even a concept, yeah. you know? Um, right. Probably like 10 or 15 years before I was born, I think. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yes, I I also, I mean, yeah, just grew up with a lot of goth industrial metal music, which is dark and broody and vampires and, you know, living forever. Uh uh uh, Growing up Catholic. Also, are goths taller (laughs) than normal people, do you think? Um, It's just the boots. (laughs) That's right. I'm like, why do goths seem so much taller? But yeah, that is right. It's It's just platform boots. Can't go without them. Right. Well, is it... Okay, so where does... I'm split. I want to hear about (laughs) growing up with a ghost brother. I want to hear about what gets you into the dark, broody stuff. If you feel like it's temperament, if you feel like something happened or you heard the right or read the right thing at the right time. Um... I think it's kind of all of it, you know, like growing up in a household that had echoes of that grief and trauma Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, you know, growing up, I wasn't as conscious of it. But looking back, I can kind of see how that influenced a lot of um, how my mom treated us. You know, she loved us hard. Um, She... I I feel like I couldn't have been blessed with a better mother and father, really, um, who just gave us everything and really cared for our well-being. Um, and in part because they lost a child, you know, and and that made us receive that love. Um, and so 
that was always kind of there. And, you know, I had cousins who were just listening to the Smashing Pumpkins and Nine Inch Nails and Rob Zombie mm-hmm. and System of a Down mm-hmm. and, you know, Metallica and all that stuff. Um, so it kind of came naturally and I'm like still listening to a lot of the same music I was, you know, in, in grade school. Uh, sure. And, and yeah, I mean, and also growing up like Catholic. Yeah. Does something. <laughs> um, Talk about a ghost religion. Yeah. You know, a lot of death and crucifixions and catacombs. And catacombs. I've yet to go to some catacombs, but uh and and reading about vampires, I read Darren Shan's Cirque du Freak uh series okay. in, in grade school. Is that pre Anne Rice or post Anne Rice? I'm pretty sure it was post, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, but that was the one that did it for you. Yeah. I mean I was like in sixth grade, you know. And, yeah. Um and I remember telling my parents I was a vampire. Okay. Yeah. How did they respond to that? They were like, okay, bless their souls. They were like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, it is an archetype that I've kind of taken on and have, have just ran with. And it, it's still very much there. You know, I've got a pair of like custom fangs I wear to the club sometimes. And okay. Stay up till 6 a.m. dancing at the goth night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, in general, like the goth subculture is about the music, but the music is about exploring death and, and grief, you know, like, and a lot of music yeah. is, but mm-hmm. the, the goths just kind of take it, embrace it, and wrap themselves up in it as their own. And It's more explicit. And wear it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm about that. Love the cemeteries yeah. and, you know, walking in cemeteries and, and enjoying. Uh, I know a lot of people, it's mid-January and, like, the sun hadn't come out in, like, two weeks in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And... And a lot of my friends were like, oh, my God. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. It's beautiful. It's moody. (laughs) I feel great. So it's, wow. So it is, and it's not like you're experiencing depression and wallowing in the depression. You're actually feeling energized from the depressive circumstances. I wouldn't call them depressive, though. You know, it's like the other thing that, like, I don't equate a a foggy, snowy, moody morning with like depression. Right. No, there's yeah, totally. And not don't get me wrong, a lot of people struggle with depression, but a lot of people everywhere struggle with depression. And for sure. For sure. Um, I don't I don't want to say that's exclusive or or, or special <laughs> to the to the to the goths or anything like that. No, absolutely. Was your so was your Catholicism is it a, are you Mexican? Is it a Mexican Catholicism? Yeah. Yeah. Like Mexican Roman Catholic went to Catholic schools my whole life. And okay. Um, Cause that seems an especially, I don't know, just like Latin and South American flavors of 
Catholicism feel. Maybe it's because of the sort of like magical realism I've come to associate with those places that make it feel especially loaded and mysterious. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I think a lot about Guillermo del Toro. Uh huh. You know, who's a Mexican filmmaker who he's got some beautiful quotes about like monsters um, and, you know, our, our shadows and, and traumas and um, and being and being Mexican, you know, that like something about Mexicans that death is um, is present and there. And yet it's like something to to celebrate or to dance about um, that we have to just live even harder mm-hmm, mm-hmm. more fully robustly it's so hard though i mean i absolutely relate to the impulse of people to clam up to not want to talk about death to want to run from these topics it is that impulse within me that for whatever reason my own temperament or training as a performer or need for to have other people hear me speak is causes me instead to talk about it uh but there's very much a way in which this podcast I'm talking a lot about this stuff but I do not have peace mm. around it and I think I'd rather be there i'd rather be at least talking about it and not have peace than like running from it and not have peace but i mean it terrifies me yeah and and that's having come closer to okay so you say yeah so it's it's not even spending all this time in so many in music in culture in growing up in active death cafe creative coffin card podcast work you can still say yeah about it being terrifying. Of course. And you know, what's coming to mind is I recently saw a video that I believe was Kwame Ture saying that peace is a white man's word, right? You can have peace and not have liberation. Yes. He said, we want liberation. We don't want peace. And so for me, hearing that like peace around death feels like the niceties of peace mm-hmm. versus the liberation from the fear. Does, and I might be talking smoke here, but um, you know, the, this is a quote that came to mind, and I think we can be afraid. You know, again, is something that came up. I saw a lot in COVID was everyone talking like, oh, don't be afraid. Like fear is no good. This kind of toxic mm-hmm. positivity thing. <clears throat> yeah. That frames. Especially in the wellness yoga. Especially. Massage world. <laughs> yeah. Especially. And um, there's another quote um, from a book. Uh, I forget the name of right now, but it says only two kinds of people fear death, like a fool and a priest. Uh, yeah. And so, so I think we can be afraid, 
and still feel some kind of peace, if you will. You know, like that acceptance maybe it's is an the acceptance word I'm for. Yeah. yeah and 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 that's yeah. a bigger part of this kind of like shadow work thing of of not viewing grief anger fear um guilt shame whatever it is as like quote unquote negative emotions mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. that's where i think the the deeper sense of peace comes from is not not experiencing those things but accepting those feelings that arise. What do you hope happens when you die? How do you mean that? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. You know, this is a really big question because um, there is the... That's a big, big question. What do I hope happens when I die? Um... It's so funny <laughs> that as much as time as I ask other people this question, I'm always like, what do I hope happens when I die? Yeah, totally. I, I hope I can laugh. I have imagined a lot kind of preemptively being like, oh, this is how I'm going to die. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, farewell. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah, totally. I hope that, and I also hope that I can maintain my sense of awareness going into death. I was hoping you would take it in the direction you have, which is, I, I very frequently speaking of binaries, this question uh, in the life of the podcast bifurcated between people talking straight up about afterlives mm and people talking about legacy and 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 how they what what they hope the world is uh after they die and i'm glad you talked about the moment of death mm-hmm. cuz i was i did want to ask you about that as well speaking of the fear and the panic the big panic for me is cessation of consciousness how do you think about that? Is that something that scares you? Is it something you, you, it doesn't, I see you shaking your head. We go to sleep every night and lose consciousness, you know? I know, but it doesn't, but it's, it's not the, it's not the actual cessation of consciousness that freaks me out. It is right now believing I'm freaked out now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The problem is now, right? The, (laughs) the problem is tending to being okay now and and i say this all the time in yoga classes when we practice shavasana which is corpse pose Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. corpse pose like we practice death in yoga class every time and uh, some teachers talk a lot more some people talk most talk very very little about corpse pose and when we're in there you know right but that's the practice of resting in peace. Like we don't need to wait till we die to rest in peace. Mm -hmm. We can practice that right now. And I do think it's silly to be afraid of something that we can't have any control of, you know, um, what's it say? They, They say, like if you, 
if you can do something about it, then do it. And if you can't, like, why are you worrying about it? Oh, sure. I mean, that's a very logical way right. to think uh, yeah. about it. But <laughs> what, what, we're all just losing our fear of things we can't control uh, now. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. And and part of that is like, yeah, I'm afraid. And just say, like accepting that you're afraid. And another thing is is practicing, you know, like literally going there and imagining what that is mm-hmm. like to a point that it becomes familiar to you. And so in, in sleep, dream, in the Tibetan practices and, and some of the Toltec practices, right, the falling asleep is parallel to dying. Okay. And okay. that our death is a lot like the experience we have in our dreams. Okay. And so for most people, there's a moment of feeling drowsy, feeling tired, and then at some point you lose it. Right. And maybe you might have a dream that you can strongly, vividly remember. It might be just a brief little whisper. Some people, or if you're super tired, you know, will just black out. Yeah. And just falling asleep with that in mind, waking up with that in mind, you know, what is it like to fall asleep and then just never wake up? And if you can wake up thinking, huh, what was I, what was just happening in the last seven, eight hours, whatever, six, mm-hmm. maybe, who knows how much you're sleeping? Um, then that is a way gradually where you start to ease that fear because you've already, you've already been doing it. Mm-hmm. you're already practicing dying every night if you keep that in mind. And you practice being reborn again every morning if you keep that in mind. In some ways. So do you believe in an afterlife for yourself? I think belief inherently implies a lack of knowledge. Okay. And I'm so curious, and I've heard so many accounts from people of the afterlife. I've read so many accounts of what might be in the afterlife, and I still can't say for certain what it is. I wouldn't say I have a belief. I have, I do tend to believe the Buddhist model. Okay. Which would, lead me to say that the experience we have of death of an afterlife is no different than the dreams that we have. And the dreams that we have are largely influenced and dependent upon our habits and actions and feelings that we have Mm. in our waking life presently. And so those create hellish or heavenly experiences, which Mm -hmm. would lead some people to think there is a heaven, there is a hell, because what normally happens is we practice viewing the world as a hell hole. You know, we literally have languages. It's a shit show. Like, this place sucks. It's um, whatever. And, And we practice 
projecting all this negativity, this evil out into the world. And if that's all one sees, and if that's all one practices, then that's going to reflect, implode sort of on yourself at the end. And if we practice viewing things with love, if we practice compassion, if we practice listening to and like witnessing a feeling of divinity and awe, then we're more likely to embody and experience that in the moment of death as well. Well, that makes sense a lot to me because a frustration I have with dreams is I find the relationship between my day and the dream to be very direct sometimes. You know, if I had to refill an ice tray and I see giant ice cubes in my dream, it it doesn't feel like it's a symbol of great change. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, so, so I like the, the directness of this idea that your life influences your death, your state after death. Uh, you, you, you know, the question of, are you aware of your afterlife dream state or not aside that that does make a lot of sense to me. And it kind of jives with the rudimentary ideas I have about reincarnation where, you know, if you're quote good during what, you know, during this life, you get to be a cool thing later or not a cool thing. If you're bad, you know, or like if you're good, you go to heaven, you know, if you're bad, you go to hell. Like if you're, doing a lot of reading in your life. Maybe your afterlife is a lot of book stuff. I I, I, I don't know. It, it, there, there's something satisfying about that to me. The reincarnation thing is really interesting to me because in the Buddhist tradition, reincarnation, in my understanding, I wouldn't call myself an expert or anything, but in my understanding of what I've gathered, the way I have imagined it is that our bodies, and you just mentioned ice trays, right? So this is perfect. Okay. Our bodies okay. are a vessel. And in it, we have some water. If the vet, and the water is our consciousness, our spirit, whatever you want to call that. When the vessel breaks and the water spills out, it gets evaporated. Maybe the dog drinks it. It goes into <laughs> the ground. You know, whatever it is, it gets recirculated, right? So most people's experience when their vessel breaks at death is just this kind of like random evaporation of matter and gets recycled around. Mm -hmm. But in these practices for traveling through the bardos, <clears throat> And especially becoming aware in our dream bodies and becoming um, more familiar with our like astral, quote unquote, astral energetic body, whatever you want to call it. You start yeah. to, it's like putting the, 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 the vessel in the freezer so that it starts to harden. So that when the vessel breaks, you keep the shape and the contents intact. Okay. And okay. from that point, 
if you're aware enough, again, if you can keep it frozen long enough, then you have the opportunity to put those contents into another vessel. Well, I'm heartened by the the freezing metaphor because uh, it, it really feeds the panicked, hyper-individual part of me that's like, okay, I don't have to worry about consciousness disappearing after death. I just have to become one of these freezing people. <laughs> A prompt I like to issue comes from a one-man show I did that was set in the afterlife. And one of the features of this afterlife was you get to fully relive one memory. You have to choose one. It doesn't wipe out your other memories, but there's one that gets to be particularly vivid and you can drop down into whenever you want. Mm. If that were the case... What memory do you choose? You know, the first thing that came to me was a moment when I was in Mexico and my dad took me to these ruins in our home state of Zacatecas called La Quemada the burn and there was like this kind of ancient town that appears to have been burnt and evacuated somehow and so he took me with some of his friends and they were just kind of chilling walking and you know I was just took off on my own and there's no one else at these sites at the time and I took off, you know, they're like way behind. Um, and I took off and I climbed up one of the pyramids that was there. And I sat at the very top of it. And just was kind of taking in the view. And I had this big sense of timelessness of like even going back in time. Um, and there was like a, a hawk or an eagle or something, um, a bird of some kind circling about me. And there was a moment where we just like literally made eye contact for a bit. Whoa. And that was the first memory that came to my mind when you asked me what moment I would like to just live in, um, it felt, I don't know, surreal. I felt ancient. I, I wanted to like take my shirt off and cut a nopal off and just eat it raw. Uh, it was a vibe. I felt so, um, I just had like such a direct hit of, of a feeling of like that, you know, ancestral lineage um, somewhere. Um how old were you? I have no idea. I have no... Teenage? Young? I was younger than I am now. <laughs> I... <laughs> okay. I, uh, it might have happened yesterday. 
you know, people always laugh around me when I'm like, oh, the other day. And they don't know if that means yesterday, last week, four years ago. Sure. I'm always just it's like... a very stand-up comedy sense of the other day. Yeah, the other day. And uh, no, I was... Wow. I'm, I have no idea. I was probably... No, I like I, that. I, yeah. I want it very... <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. What is the... Um, do, do you rem- so you make this eye contact with this bird. Can you, how other than it being a hawk or an eagle, how else can you describe it physically is the first part of my question. And the second part is, what do you remember from the gaze? Do you, do you feel like something was communicated between you? Did you did you come away with a specific feeling or message or anything like that? It just felt like meeting another being, you know? Like, I felt like we Whoa. just saw each other. Um, yeah. I can't say I was like... It wasn't like, oh, and this is my great-grandfather or something. No, you know, just like, whoa. I was like, I, yeah. I see you, you see me. We're here, like literally on each other's level. Um, and so I came away, I guess, with identifying a little bit with the bird archetype. Sure. Um, and I might have already um, really enjoy the winged, feathery creatures. Or leathery, winged creatures. <laughs> okay. Um, and no, I don't feel like anything was like communicated. It it just felt ah, I don't you know I, it felt profound. It felt significant. I was a little, I can you know like maybe like scared or excited. You know those feelings got kind of blended because it's like mm-hmm. here's this bird up here and i don't know if they're like just looking for food you know like right, right, just right. Like, or like what's up get here? off my you know? seat yeah this is like, where i perch use you yeah i'm yeah. like buy their buy their eggs or something you know <laughs> yeah, um, right 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 but nothing happened except uh just that that feeling of of witnessing and being seen it had golden eyes wow it had like uh they like honey like glowing honey were its eyes. Yeah, I'll, I'll never know what that bird exactly was, maybe. What's your coma? I described my coma to you. The question is about a moment of transformation, big or small. Does not have to be particularly grandiose yeah but that you can look back at and it see that it marks a moment of like oh before i was this version of myself and after i became this Mm -hmm. um without a doubt my dad dying for sure feeling that grief if we open ourselves up to it has a really deep potential to expand our hearts for people, become more compassionate, um, 
to become more radicalized. You know, I was already radicalized before my dad died. Mm-hmm. And after my dad died from a pandemic that was poorly being managed and still is yeah. being poorly managed by mm-hmm. every level of government and, and institution, it further solidified my mission and gave even deeper meaning and purpose to the work that I am, have already been doing. And what is your mission? To relax the planet. Uh, and every little bit counts, you know. Gandhi said if we can, if we can uh, be the change you want to see the world, right? And mm-hmm. I always thought if we can change ourselves, then we've already changed the world. And if any, any bit more than that is um, big. And so that mission came to me when I started teaching yoga and a teacher asked me what our mission was. And at that point I had already been, I just graduated from massage therapy school. And before mm-hmm. that I felt kind of aimless, you know, I wasn't sure I, I got cut from the acting program at DePaul. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Originally, I was like, I'm going to be on SNL. I was, you know, I was in the Second City okay, Teen Ensemble. Okay. Like, um, I, and then I, you know, got cut from that program and like didn't know what to do and then kind of stumbled into massage. And I had already been doing yoga, but then became a yoga teacher. And was like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on a mission to relax the planet. And I think that was even there when I was in theater school, because theater to me was also a place to offer the audience catharsis um, mm-hmm. and reflection mm-hmm. um, in some ways of witnessing these dramas so that we can process them, you know, to be brought to tears, to be brought to laughter, right. to be brought through any range of emotions and experiences one's feeling and identifying with is, is part of the beauty and magic of theater and ritual and, and finding yoga at theater school is a whole other intersection Mm. of importance Mm -hmm. in my philosophies. Yeah. You know, to relax the planet and just everything I've been doing since then has been that in some way, you know, I released an ambient album, of sleep and mm-hmm. dreams. I teach yoga, which is meant to relax and the coffin cards and the podcast. Uh, my intention is to like soothe and ease people's fear and anxieties around death and dying, you know, like right. all of this, everything is meant to help ease and relax in, in some way, shape or form. How do you square this mission with liberation? Because I can see there being a toxic version of relaxing the planet. Yeah, the liberation aspect is fighting for the rights of other people to be able to exist in peace without, um, mm. you know, addressing yeah. the the systems that inhibit people from accessing food, from accessing housing, from accessing um, water, from, from to keep bombs from falling on their heads. Like that for me is, is the liberational aspect of it um, because some people, you know, can't, 
afford to sit and do yoga when bombs are being dropped on their head and to fight for the people who can't. Um, And, you know, even in nonviolence, we see, I see a lot in the wellness industry sometimes it's like, well, there's violence on both sides and right. You know, and I've heard black liberation teachers say that like, what do you expect? A slave can't vote. It's, way to you know you can't change the the system um that one is left to fight for his her or their liberation by any means that is available to them and that a riot you know um is the the language of the unheard is is the screams of people who are left no voice and so to even interrupt traffic, you know, it's not about even persuading anyone to join your cause. These kinds of Mm -hmm. actions are to send a message to the bigger systems, the people in office, the people in government, like, listen to us, goddammit. Like, we're not here to change anyone's mind in in traffic um, when those things happen, that the action itself is the the goal to be heard um to you know and then we're talking about oh my god they stopped traffic on lakeshore drive they stopped traffic on the bridge and um and to say holy shit these people are turning up and if we you know again i have been increasingly losing faith in our own system as, as a lot of people have yeah. over the yeah. last, you know, few years, the last decade, decades, you know, um, right. I remember being in like, also like a lot of people in my generation were like in fourth, you know, third grade, like literally watching the, the towers fall on TV right? and our government, demonize people that now it's like y'all are playing the same it's like we lived through this already i know i know we're we've been through this so to witness all that um and to be radicalized and to know that we need to take direct action and support mutual aid support each other um, community step away from hyper individualism that we're conditioned into um, the same hyper-individualism that leaves grandparents, you know, alone in these awful nursing homes. Um, The same individualism that says, well, why should I care or pay for someone else's housing or medical bills when I have to? Or why should their debt be pardoned when I had to pay my debt off? Yeah. Yeah. All this hyper individualism keeps all of us back. And, you know, everyone said it before that we're not free until we're all free mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Well, and relaxing the planet doesn't just mean everyone gets to lie down in corpse pose on the yoga <laughs> mat. It means that it, it, it means that people, yeah don't have buildings falling on them anymore. So they can't even imagine 
lying down in corpse pose on the yoga mat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, having having more people being able to practice corpse pose rather than just becoming fucking corpses. corpses. Yeah, and and protests themselves are a form of communal grief. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of course. You know, going to a protest, as much grief as there is at a protest for any cause, the feeling of solidarity and community yeah. is so real and palpable there. And that is also reinvigorates a sense of hopelessness that I think some people feel, um, a sense of isolation. Um, and that's all really important. Yeah. And, and not in a sort of like door to door salesman (laughs) sort of way, convincing people to join the cause. But I do think hearing about, oh, they shut down Lakeshore Drive also eases that hopelessness a little bit to be like, okay, there are other people out there. It, it's it's weirdly a way to experience community from afar to mm-hmm. hear about those things. Yeah. Yeah. And even further, you know, the, the Yemenis uh, stopping cargo ships. Um, right. And South Africa standing up mm-hmm. for and filing a case against Israel for committing genocide on a global scale is, is solidarity is community. And on an individual level, those things can feel so scary to be vulnerable and brave. And a lot of people feel like they have a lot to lose, you know? And, and I don't blame, I don't blame anyone if they're like, I need to feed my family. And if I speak up about this, I might lose my job. Um, and just to recognize that that in and of itself is a screaming part of the problem that right. you also shouldn't have to be so afraid of speaking up for what you believe is right, of speaking up against what we can all blatantly see are horrific images um, and to speak out against them is punishable Um that speaks a lot to the society, the culture, the systems we live in. You know, I would just say, like, honor your grief. Text people you love. Call people you love. Drink water. Take a nap if you feel overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, just the cliche little things make a really big difference. Um, free Palestine. Yeah, hell yeah. Free, <laughs> Absolutely. free Congo, free Sudan, free... Mexico, may may we all may we all be free from the shackles of ignorance that keep us in perpetual cycles of hell. Nailed it. <laughs> That's the show. Go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr to become a This Is Your Afterlife patron. Find links to all of Alejandro's projects in the show notes, including the Death Cafe at Chai Yoga Shack on January 27th. And check out the Coffin Cards and the Coffin Cards podcast to hear more conversations like the one we just had. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend who'd love This Is Your Afterlife about the show. And write a little review on Apple Podcast if you listen there and haven't yet. Until next week, remember... 
you are a mist. You can do them. Have faith. You are human. Only human. And human beings, they do miracles.